Hello everybody, welcome back to The Missing Piece. If you can't already tell, I am recording this outside actually. I've just listened to this podcast with Harrison Ward, aka Fell Foodie. You can maybe hear the cows in the background. I'm in a forest, so I was just walking and listening to it, getting a feel for it. <laughs> and then the cows have started. So I actually think that's quite appropriate for my first Cumbrian guest on the show. And in this conversation, Harrison... I mean, if you don't know Harrison already, go and check him out on Instagram and, you know, find him in all the different places that he's at to just experience how raw and open and vulnerable he is and how much he shares about his journey. And we talk a lot about this and you'll obviously get this from the podcast as well. But he's been on a journey of alcoholism to sobriety and I guess finding peace in the fells cooking in the fells and we talk about vulnerability about self-forgiveness about regrets and just so much but overall it's that ability to share so honestly that he has that I think is the power the power that he holds so yeah I know you enjoy this episode I really hope you can hear the cows you know (laughs) and just before we launch into it I just want to say that the book bundle giveaway is still ongoing until the 15th of October so you all all you have to do is sign up to my email letter which will be linked in the show notes below and I'm basically sharing three books that have been the most transformational in my healing journey so you can be entered into the draw by just signing up by the 15th of October and rather than me sharing every every single week about what these books are I've linked an Instagram post below that shares them so you can check them out and then we can uh, get into all the goodness of this conversation. So thank you everybody for listening and uh, I know you will enjoy this one. Bye-bye. Hi Harrison, welcome to the Missing Peace podcast. It is a real pleasure to have you here, so thank you for coming on. No, thank you for having me, looking forward to it. Oh, lovely. Um, So I'd love if you could just start by sharing, I guess, your story, how you've got to being fell foodie um, and the journey that you've been on to this place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess this at this point now, I, mean, I suppose I'm more known as, as fell foodie than I am maybe Harrison Ward um, usually. But basically these days I can be found in sort of the Lake District or up some mountains in, in the UK cooking on the top of the mountains on sort of quite minimal equipment, so like camp stoves and bits like that, with all my equipment packed in my bag, taken to the top of the summit, and these sort of restaurant-style meals prepared with these views below. So it's something I've shared online since I've started doing it, so it's quite unusual in terms of the uh, the culinary side of things. But for me, it was the merge of two passions, um, cooking and the mountains. But um, it's not always been that case, though. I mean, there were very different sort of things in the past where uh, cooking had always been quite a mainstay in my life, something I'd always loved doing. But the mountains, although being born sort of just outside the lakes um, near Brampton, was something that, I very much took for granted and was very complacent with and didn't really embrace until later life. Um, I was quite outdoorsy growing up. I suppose I was always out sort of maybe down to the local becks in the woods doing various bits, a lot of team sports and cycling and things. But again, the closest I probably came to heading up the mountains in the lakes was probably teeing, tea and cake in Keswick, really. I mean, it was, it was very much just a day trip venue, which I'm sure a lot of people who are maybe born close to these spots uh, have a quite a similar experience of you get you get complacent quite snow blind and maybe don't appreciate what you have on your doorstep at the time um but during this time i guess during adolescence i found myself um really suddenly hit going through sort of puberty hit with 
a sudden sort of sensation of complete self-loathing, sort of demotivation, sort of insecurity. And almost something that sort of changed me really in how I took in various activities and how I took in day-to-day life. A lot of things I'd previously been very passionate for, or wanting to do very motivated for, just didn't really seem to have that same impact on me anymore. Um, but it was something that I kept very close to my chest. I didn't share it to anybody. I put on that sort of brave face, that mask, if you will, and continued um, doing these various bits without sort of showcasing this sort of chink in the arm, if you will, of what was actually going on under the surface. It was later down the line that this was obviously discovered to be sort of clinical depression, but something I didn't really seek any help for at the time. Just sort of battled through on my own sort of terms. And as time had gone on, I found myself working quite a bit in the hospitality trade from a young age, maybe sort of 13, 14, just washing pots in the kitchens back of house. Again, this wasn't where the sort of culinary journey started at all, but it was just an addition, just getting a bit of a, a Saturday job, if you will. Uh, that then merged onto me sort of waiting on, and then for 18, working behind the bar. Now, this was sort of my first real discovery of, of the world of alcohol at this point. I mean, many of the people probably would have enjoyed it multiple times along the way in their adolescence, but it wasn't really sort of me. I wasn't really down the town, sort of the bike the bike shared or down the park with a, a bottle of cider or anything. This was very much the first sort of point for me in that discovery and quickly sort of enjoyed the social aspects of meeting people I'd maybe not come across before, different sort of stories, and then sort of having a drink after work and enjoying that sort of um, rapport with other people. But also on this side, the, the alcohol seemed to give me a bit of an escape from what was going on in my head at the time. It seemed to sort of shut off the thoughts a little bit, silence what was going on there. A bit like that sort of Dutch courage mantra that we often hear. And quite quickly, this sort of sensation became something that I, 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 I longed for, wanted to achieve most days. So I sort of sort of drink more and more, I guess, to try and get rid of this sort of sensation I was having in my head. Now, initially, I was probably having maybe two pints, 18. That was me stumbling down the road and home again. But quite quickly, it became something that under the guise of being social, I was heading out more and more, working more and more in the pub as well to get this almost medicinal style fix in a way with alcohol now of course at that sort of age as well in this sort of country in various bits it's quite a rite of passage anyway 18 heading out to drink it's quite a normal thing to be doing it doesn't look too untoward from the outside and although a lot of my close friends weren't particularly big drinkers there was plenty in that environment um that obviously you, you met during that point became new acquaintances and sort of enjoyed that new lifestyle with so this was something that really came into my life, I guess, initially by sort of the employment side, but quite quickly became something that was becoming um, quite a mainstay in my life. So about 18 at this point, things had started to begin to change. What has that journey actually been like of starting to share your, or even just kind of understand what was going on for you along the way to kind of understand, yeah, and even to share to other people what was happening? So it still wasn't for quite a while uh, yet that this ever became clear to anybody. So at this point, I'm still sort of 18, 18, 19, sort of still in Cumbria. It was around this time that I moved to to York for university. And this was where really things began to really um, escalate, I guess, and start to tumble further down, where initially, again, another moment of sort of meeting new people, very much social, that sort of freshers week mantra, again, 18, 19, heading out all the time, drinking. Alcohol is very heavily involved in sort of the culture and the ethos of that that environment. So again, at this point, I'd gone a year late um, to maybe the other. So I was already quite established, I guess, 
in terms of going out in various bits this way and was quite known as one of the older boys who liked to drink. Um, I've quite quickly found myself back in hospitality trade again, finding work in a local pub there. And very, very quickly, my studies began to sort of fall by the wayside as alcohol became really a sole focus at this point. Now, I'd mentioned I was drinking sort of most days before I went to York. But by the time I moved away to York, all of a sudden now I had access to, to sort of bars and clubs that are open to the early hours where being sort of rural Cumbria, sort of had places closing down 10 o'clock in the midweek. <laughs> sort of it. And again, you're somewhere now where nobody really knows who you are. So you're kind of a bit under that sort of, that, that, that cloak, if you will. Again, that sort of um, hidden, hidden personality that was often under, behind the armour. So at this point, I mean, I started smoking full-time at this point as well. I took up smoking. My drinking sort of, again, escalated from drinking sort of everyday, smaller levels to an hour where I was regularly sort of consuming 10, 15 pints probably a day at this point. And as I mentioned, my studies had fallen by the wayside and I'd gone into sort of full-time employment in sort of the pub trade. Now, this, of course, was an environment that was very much kidding a sweet job at this time. I guess to what I was doing at this point, it was servicing both that that need for almost the um, the ingredients I was utilising for this, this lifestyle change, but also it was provided that sort of capital as well to be able to live that life. So I was very highly functioning at this point during this, but again, it was still something that was completely to me. I didn't really mention what was going on. Friends and family weren't really understanding the issues I was maybe having mentally or with substances at this point. And me, myself, I mean, I, I knew I was suffering in my head, but certainly didn't think I had any problem with alcohol at the time. Just saw myself as someone that was a heavy drinker, liked to drink. Uh, and it was just part of part of my personality in a way. But I had mentioned before that, of course, alcohol initially had come into my life as this sort of medicinal tool to sort of silence my mind, sedate myself from things. Where now it was really beginning to sort of turn to a poison at this point. Now, things began to even go even further around sort of my 21st birthday. We had a lot of friends come to visit me in York, all for a big sort of night out, multiple days on the town. But again, something I was quite used to at that point. I mean, it was pretty much my, my daily week anyway. But as one by one, those friends started to go back home again to Cumbria and wherever they'd moved to since that point, it was dawning on me how alone I actually was in this city. A lot of my sort of people I was knocking around with were, were bartenders and takeaway owners at this point. So maybe I should have seen the signs a bit earlier on. But it was all of a sudden just going to be me alone in the city. And really, while I was still masking these thoughts, were still there beneath the surface and not really being dealt with. Uh, one particular night on the last night, walking home, maybe sort of the early hours, I don't recall the conversation too much. I mean, I was, I was completely inebriated at the time. But I remember sort of heading off to a payphone near my house, stumbling back to my residence and actually making a call home. And there was only really one intention of this call at the time, and, and it was purely to say say goodbye to my mum. I had no intention of going on anymore. The issues I'd been sort of dealing with all this time throughout sort of adolescence, battling these moments of delay, sort of self-loathing to motivation, again, battling suicidal thoughts during this time, and now reached the point where I felt like what I was utilising to try and stay at this point was no longer working for me. And I was really just existing on this platform at the time. I wasn't really doing anything um, outside the means. It was very much just a, a wash and repeat type thing every day to go through this lifestyle. So upon making this call, I was basically ushered back home. Um, the close friend that was still there drove me back to Cumbria. And I, I did seek medical help for the first time. And obviously, my sort of secret that I've been keeping now for what was already maybe nine years at this point had started to slightly come out the woodwork 
to this friend, to to my mum, and maybe a couple of people in the family. But to me at the time, it was something that I, I was quite angry about. I, I was annoyed the fact I'd let my guard slip and I'd allow people into this almost secret, secret life I was I was leading. But did go through the the motions of trying to seek some help at this point. But I wasn't willing to make the change. I just wasn't willing. And within about a week, I'd booked a ticket back to York. I'd gone back there and I'd carried on this exact lifestyle of drinking myself to sort of blackout oblivion each night for a further sort of five years. Um, so, yeah, for five years, sorry. And during this point, I found myself in a relationship with someone in York. Uh, something I'd always really longed for, I guess, someone to share things with, um, to share experiences with and to sort of, go through life with really but unfortunately at this point I was already in a relationship I was already in a relationship with alcohol and the two didn't really see eye to eye during this point at all so there was moments I guess of 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 conflict through this which would always push me further back into sort of the alcohol alcohol world now at this point I'm, I'm a very very heavy heavy functioning drinker I mean I've mentioned 15 pints a day at one point I'm more like 20 pints now at this point a day full-time smoke and I ballooned in weight to about 22 stone at this point so I put about seven stone on whilst my time in York as well and any sort of little interventions or arguments we had would just push me straight onto the drinking side again and again and one of these particular evenings when I'd headed out I'd actually acted unfaithfully to this partner in town now that's something that I definitely can't blame the alcohol for although it may have been a catalyst it's something that I had to definitely hold my hands up and give me accountable for now this was discovered by the partner and rightly so was the end of that relationship she she did no longer wanted a place in my life through that and it was here really that I came to terms with the fact of how how lost I was to this sort of substance at the time it was now compromising me as a person it was always been something that I didn't want to be a burden on other people I didn't want my issues to to affect anybody else and alcohol was a means of me just just be able to go through life and trying to have minimal impact whilst suffering from my own mental um, inaptitude, I guess. And at this point now, obviously, I've had an effect on somebody else. So for me, this 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 broke me. This 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 feeling of the fact that values I held so dear to myself in terms of sort of loyalty and, and me had now been compromised. I, I was no longer the same person under the influence that I, that I thought I was. And I suppose initially to try and win back this partner, I vowed on that day, it was the 6th of June 2016, to, to remove alcohol from my life completely and to remove sort of smoking and the lifestyle I was going through. And also at this point, I, I came to the realisation that I could no longer stay in the city that I lived in. I've been here for seven years now in York. I've known a lot of people in the area. I've been in the same job for a long time, obviously at my house, various bits. And pretty much overnight, with this decision, I felt like I couldn't make this change if I was staying in that environment. There was too much accessible to me. There was too much, I suppose, there. there was too much familiarity as well. So I decided I had to sort of leave this city overnight. So I'd obviously lost my girlfriend at the time, but I quit my job. I left my flat. I didn't say goodbye to anyone. I just up sticks and came back to Cumbria, literally in that first week after this major change. Now, at this point, for the first time, as you mentioned at the start there, before you started this, this little question, it was the first time that I really came clean to everybody else at this point. So on my personal sort of Facebook page at the time, I put on exactly why I'd left York and the reasons why 
I had to remove myself from this city. And it was the first time really I'd come clean with what I'd been going through, not only sort of the mental health issues that I now knew to be sort of depression, but also the substance abuse and the alcoholism that I'd now fallen into. I very much identified, excuse me, very much identified as, as an alcoholic at this point. And coming back to Cumbria again and, and reaching out and being so vulnerable, I mean, my foundation to completely crumble. I was completely rock bottom at this point. But the support I received back from people on reaching out and putting that sort of out there was hugely, hugely sort of humbling and empowering. And there's a lot of people here, like close friends that I'd maybe become slightly estranged from, people that were very close through school and, and, been, and stuck around all these years, really, that really I was lucky to stay in my life. I mean, I hadn't acted very well at that sort of time. I was never really an aggressive person or anything that sort of way, but I certainly was unreliable. Um, I was a bit sort of hard to, hard to contact. I wouldn't really make much effort back with people. And these people were still there, something that I feel very, very lucky to have had at that time and, and something that I'll always be grateful for. And, and they started turning up basically on my doorstep. These friends turned up to sort of take me on various bits. Now, at this point, I've thrown myself into fitness. Alcohol had left such a huge void in my life. I mean, it was my daily, daily practice, really, heading out there to get my quota. And to fill this gap, I mean, I thought exercise was, was one of the things I could try and fill this with. So straight away, I was out there doing some sort of cycling around my local area again, trying to head out for some walks, heading to the gym. And friends would turn up and sort of join me on these on these activities, of course, activities that didn't involve alcohol at the time. And one particular friend turned to my doorstep and said that we were going to go for a hike. Now, at the time, again, I knew nothing what to, what to expect. I hadn't really embraced the fells other than maybe a geography field trip back in school. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much something that it was so close, yet, yet could have been really far away. And I remember my dad used to come and pick us up sometimes. He'd, he'd drive up the M6 past Sharp and he'd He'd be in the car and he'd look across and go, just look at those hills, look how gorgeous they are. And I'd go, oh, they're just hills, Dad, just hills. I'm not bothered. And at this point, this friend come in to say he was going to take me on a hike. Again, I didn't know what to expect, so I just put on what I had to hand, which was like an old pair of, of swim shorts, I think I had, like a jumper I used to wear down the pub, and, and some shoes that probably as much grip as a pair of bowling shoes, really. And, uh, and he said, you can't go hiking like that. So, well, look at me. But I was completely sort of penniless at the time too. I'd just come back from this 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 York. I'd paid last of my debts and my, my my rent and various bar tabs. I had credit card debts, and he pulled off on the way to a local outdoor shop, pulled this pair of boots off off the shelf and put them on the counter, and bought me this pair of boots to go on this hike. Now again, a huge show of support from this friend and a sign of things to come. And further down the road, we pulled up at the base of of Blencathra. Now, one of the higher mountains in the Lake District, for those that know, and, and quite a baptism of fire from someone that a week prior was still sat on the end of a bar stool, borderline falling asleep each night, hugely overweight, full-time smoke, and again, battling these moments of, of withdrawal from alcohol and also pining for some of my ex at the bottom of this mountain. And literally, I was basically frog-marched up this mountainside, so I don't really recall too much, maybe happy sensations of heading up, but it was just staring at my feet, one in front of the other, plodding on to the top of this summit. And slowly but surely, reaching that trig circle that's on the top of Blencathra. Now, barely having a chance to take a breath, my friend just looked at me and sort of said, right, we're doing Helvellyn next week. <laughs> again, the third highest mountain now in England, literally two weeks on from this complete fracture in my life, this complete right turn, this different direction I've gone in. 
But a week later, there we are again in the car park of Helvellyn from the Filmier side, which is like a stone staircase right to the summit. I mean, just literally steps all the way up. And again, I'm it's only two weeks after the turnaround, so I'm no fitter really. I'm just sort of going through the motions. And same story really, looking at my feet, one in front of the other, marching them, absolutely blowing up my arse in reality. <laughs> <laughs> this hillside um but also feeling like i was going through a bit of sort of like this physical change a bit of a physical manifestation of what i'd been suffering from that sort of uphill struggle having to push through the pain not knowing where it was going to head head to not knowing what what was to come on reaching the top but on this day it was a fantastic blue sky day glorious june day this time and reaching that sort of top point that trig point remember there was barely a cloud in the sky and you can see sort of striding edge there on the right-hand side with sort of red tarn below and the Pennines in the distance. And it was just like something else sung to me. It was just like a new addiction was being formed. And that endorphin hit I was getting, that sort of high that I was getting in the past from alcohol, was there again. But now with this added fitness, the, the mental sort of clarity, and without any of that sort of downside. So by now I'm completely open with my struggles out there. I'm, I'm going through this change. And this new sort of addiction has been sparked in there obviously through the aid of peers that have, that have helped me on this change. But obviously I was very willing to make this change as well. And it was me pushing into that into that area. And this sort of started this new journey, literally. That Scarfell Pike was a week later, I think a month followed after that. We'd gone to do Snowdon down in, in Snowdonia. And then we were up to Ben Nevis by the end of the year. And this had now started to become uh, what was hiking, but I was now heading out for a bit of a run as well, which at the time, Someone said to me, let's go for a run. I thought, you know, you're having a laugh. It's too far now. I've done this change, but a run is, is too far for me. You know, I couldn't run a bath. I absolutely just couldn't go down there to the shops. But bought these trainers, and 1K became 2K, became 5, became 10. And then before Christmas time, I was somehow convinced to, to sign up for, for a marathon. And there we are again, this new journey of all the hills, still heading to the gym, still sober at this point, not touched a drop, and the cigarettes had been in the bin. And by May 2017, so less than a year from that major change, I'm lined up at the start of this marathon, around Windermere, the Braffay Marathon, and completed this sort of 26-mile mile trek. And it just felt like a huge sense of sort of like redemption and sort of rebirth to, to sort of make that change and how much is possible really in that short space of time. Just that sheer determination to make that change, that support I had around me, and also finally coming clean with really the, the problems I'd been having. So this by now had become very much a new lifestyle for me, a new a new change, not just a quick fix. I'd lost about I'd lost the the, the weight I'd put on in this time, so I was now down to about fifteen stone. Again, I'd come up to about a year sober, and really living a different life in a lot more clarity in my own head. But all thanks to really thanks to that 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 reaching out moment and that just actually talking, which is why I think it's so important these days to reach out and speak about these things, because. I spent 12 years nearly in silence. And yet the point at which I actually shared this and actually sought the help, I was able to start rebuilding and make this path forward. Mm, yeah, that's that's really powerful. All of your story there, thank you for sharing so openly and vulnerably. And like you mentioned there, the the power in doing that and, you know, just the power of friendship as well, having that support there at that, that time for you and for the fells to come in exactly when they were needed, I guess, like at that, at that right time. So 
I would like to know what kind of happened in your journey from from then in terms of um, sobriety and in terms of, I guess, your relationship with the with the fells developing. How did that continue from that time? So at this point, uh, I'm basically uh, I'm heading out quite often into the hills. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this new sort of physical lifestyle. I actually found myself moving to the lakes during that time as well. So it was never really on my radar. It was never really something I aimed to do. I, I, if I was honest, I was trying to make my way back to York at the time and trying to rekindle that relationship. But it was a bit sort of, I guess, like an 80s film montage for me at the time. I think just heading up, running up these hills. I'm going to win it back. I'm going to make this change. But as time went on, she made it clear that, that wasn't going to be the case. And for me, as time had gone on, I realized that this change was for me. It was for nobody else. It was for me and maybe those that were close to me and still around. It was how I acted around them. And around this time, I started working in a local sort of cafe in Grasmere through my friend again who, who were attending the hills. He, he, he worked there in this local cafe. And I was commuting down from Brampton at the time. I didn't drive at the time either. So it was basically trains, buses, connections, lifts, and down there to work a few days a week in this cafe that, again, for me was somewhere that, I left that hospitality trade to a degree and trying to remove alcohol from my life that the heading back into sort of the pub trade wasn't going to be the right place to be. So being somewhere like a cafe that then didn't involve that alcohol side, but still had the same sort of maybe skill set at the time was was a a little um, pick me up break, I guess, in a, in a way. And, Whilst working in this guy, I wasn't, wasn't, wasn't living in the area at the time, but I met the owners of, of a local business in the Lake District. And basically, Grassmere Gingerbread was the business. It was here. And I met the owners there in the cafe. We basically had a position available for someone that was running all the sort of shipping, the e-commerce avenues for their business. And at the time, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to be. I wasn't sure if I was going to go back to York, stay here, move somewhere further afield. But eventually, I came around to the idea of moving to the lakes and actually accepting this job. It pretty much was like a transfer. It was, it was a bizarre thing. I, I barely interviewed. It was kind of like, we heed, you're good with the computers, this side of things, so we've got a job for you. <laughs> it was really bizarre. But at the time, I was, I was so I was going through a bit of a period, I guess, during this point where I was just so willing to um, sacrifice myself to, to what was around and just literally go go with the flow and with the journey and just, just trust it in a way. So... Things were coming up and little signs were popping up and little bits and opportunities. And for me, it just felt like a door opening that, again, what was the worst going to happen if you go through that door? It was kind of just, just accepting this sort of path. So the whole journey of moving to the lakes, this sort of thing, was really never really planned. But now I found myself in this this area that obviously was 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 allowing this lifestyle to continue. And this sort of began this sort of journey, I guess, into into more into the food sort of style of things. So now I was basing the air, I was heading out a lot more. After work, I was heading out. I was now running a lot more in the fells as well, um, feeling the fittest I'd ever been. I mean, I wish I was at that point now, to be fair. I mean, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that now. But <laughs> it was just great to be in this sort of area and experiencing this place that was so close to where I'd grown up, but really was still quite new. It was quite fresh to me. But on this journey to the hills now, I started taking a lot more, I guess, food with me on these hikes. So initially it was just sort of packed lunches, things I made the night before, perhaps leftovers that I was packing up. And people would often pass comments about what I was maybe taking up a little bit when they got the sort of the soggy cling film sandwiches at the bag and there's me enjoying sort of nice sort of risottos and stews I'd made, a little salad pots and things. And one person basically said, why don't I get a stove 
and actually start cooking there from scratch. A bit of a joke, a bit of a challenge. But one that exactly is what I did. I didn't shirk that challenge. I bought a stove and started basically taking what I had to hand at the time, which was just stuff from my kitchen, old sort of ceramic pots, old pans and there in my bag, heading out into sort of wild areas and trying to recreate those meals I've been cooking at home. I'd always been a passionate cook. I'd always loved it. And being self-taught from a very young age with my sort of grandmother, um, basically putting me to work in the kitchen, picking up little bits, loving how it brought people together around the table. But also researching through a lot of sort of cooking shows, books, through my, 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 my childhood, really. So this had developed over time in the hospitality trade. I hadn't worked in the back of the house. I hadn't had any training. But I certainly picked things up from chefs and cooks and over time, watching, listening, learning. And at this point, I was basically convinced to, to start an Instagram page. So at the time, I didn't really use much social media. I did a lot of cooking at home. I, I liked taking pictures of the food I was making at home. But I didn't want to annoy my Facebook friends by sharing them on there. So I basically just annoyed my work colleagues when I went to the office in the in, in a week and one of them said why, why don't you get an instagram page and put it on there and again i suppose a bit like the whole mental health journey initially i suppose i chose a name that wasn't wasn't me it was all anonymous and it was behind a mask again so i came up with a sort of pseudonym fell foodie at the time which which felt like a bit of a sort of a homage to where i was from in terms of the fells and obviously we call the hills in this area fells so that was part of that sort of proud cumbrian heritage that i had and then foodie being obviously the alliteration worked quite well, but also a bit less pretentious for a for gastronome or or, or or chef. I didn't I didn't claim to be a chef. I was very much just a cook. So fell food was the name I went with, and it's very much just sharing pictures of, of the food I was making at home at first, and the views I was experiencing in the hills. But but with no pictures of me, no 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 name revealed, not to any any friends. And this began to sort of start to gain a little bit more traction once I got that stove into the hills and started sharing those pictures. It started to get a little bit more traction, a little bit more of a following. And around my second year of sobriety, so we're now 6th of June 2018, uh, I decided to share this full story again, now publicly, to to what were, were strangers, really. I mean, a few people I'd known, a few people I'd met and spoke to, but majority were strangers on the social media platform. And I shared exactly what I had done back at the start with those friends and family of what I'd gone through, the secret I'd been holding all those years, the journey into the fells, and where I'd got to now. And just like the first time, again, the messages of support that I received, the messages of sort of um, encouragement, but also messages of similar stories of people that found the outdoors for similar reasons, was again something that, that takes you back, really. It just sets you back, and, and, and it's difficult to, to, to receive. But this started a new journey, I guess, of people actually reaching out as well to, 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 to cover my story a bit. So people started reaching out to cover it in little local magazines, um, to then some sort of local news platforms, and then even local bits on, on the television there, which then led on further to, to more bits into the national magazines, national papers, some brand work. And by all this time, the, sort of the account started to grow a bit further and further. And obviously, by this point now, I'd become clean with, with it was the fact that it was me behind the scenes as well so it was now very much a, a face to the account and continue to prepare these meals now up on the mountaintops carting all the stuff up there and making all sorts from i said the nice risottos there to sort of steak dishes to even later down more recently i baked sort of cakes in the outdoors and loaves of bread and been nice pasta dishes up there and it's very much with that challenge aspect of seeing what can be recreated back on that mineral equipment and a bit that sort of 
almost ancestral homage as well to how we used to cook in the outdoors back in the day when we first discovered fire and how it developed into cooking more in underground ovens to then sort of more commercial kitchens to now this this plethora of international ingredients and, and, and recipes, taking them back into their roots around that proverbial campfire. I mean, I tend to use a camp stove, but I'm always trying to leave no trace in the areas I'm in. So not want to leave any scorch marks and things, no fires in the fells and various bits, uh, open fires anyway. And that again, that sensation of having people gather around the table that I mentioned before, that always, that always sung to me as a memory, that sort of gathering around the campfire or the camp stove in this setting idea as well through food was such a connector. And as well, it really elevated the experience. I mean, I've always loved my food. I've never been one to sort of shirk um, food on the fast food side of things when I'm out and about. Maybe in the sort of darker days, there was a time perhaps where it was more just stumbling in somewhere on the way home. But generally speaking, it's always been the, the initial passion. I think it's always been there and what things revolve around. So this sort of new journey to the fells there just seemed to really, really work and being out there and sort of in that experience of taking taking the two out there together and was now sort of, I guess, carving a bit of a name for myself in both this different aspect of cooking in the mountains, but also being quite a quite a known speaker of, of issues I'd gone through and discovering the hills and, and the fells and as almost like an ecotherapy link in a way as well of being someone that really helped me through these times of darkness. Mm, I, you know, one thing I really want to highlight what you said there is about that idea of connection and community and, and that gathering around food um, and the outdoors there. And you mentioned about the ancestral link. I think that's, um, that's really important as well that you're sharing that. And I kind of want to ask now, how has your journey of forgiveness been, of self-forgiveness? Is that are you there? How how has that been for you? Interesting one. I don't think I've been asked this before, actually. But I think for me, um, <clears throat> throughout that journey, I mean, initially in those early days when I came back to Cumbria, I, I did seek help on all fronts. So I'd been very open to, to friends and family. I, I'd gone back to sort of the family doctor. I'd been pushed towards lots of group therapy, various bits, medicinal help. I'd been I'd been going to a lot of watching people on 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 YouTube and various bits. who had been going through similar so, sober journeys. So I completely opened myself up to this moment of change and would seek any resources available to me. Now, one particular one, I suppose, on the, on the, on the group therapy side of things, initially it was more um, substance abuse related. So actually in the NHS at the time, um, the health service in England, they wouldn't allow me to seek mental health counselling at the time until I was three months sober. Now, by no means I don't, am I going to sort of be um, bashing the service there. I think it's just that, that's, that's, that's the parameters that are in place for that kind of thing. But for me, it was already kind of a, a rec- on a record there from, from teenage and from that moment when I was 21 that mental health had been there before the alcohol. So it was kind of a bit like it wasn't, they were almost treating it like it was alcohol was the source, the reason behind this when really it was, it was, it came later. But that's not, not a fault with that. I mean, my mum was a nurse and she had some various bits. I think there's some fantastic bits in there. It was just more perhaps how they look at that, that turnaround was maybe something that, there should be other, other other avenues for, I think. So initially I was pushed into more substance abuse at the time rather than actual mental health therapy or any counselling. So I was pushed into sort of one-on-one substance abuse and that sort of way, sort of, sort of narcotics and alcohol. 
that then later became group therapy sessions, which are more like the the, the usual AA that you'd, you'd hear about. Now, initially, I was completely open to these, and, 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 in, and sort of like the fact that I was in a room with quite similar similar people who maybe understand things that others maybe wouldn't have wouldn't have gone through. Some of the things used to go to the lengths to actually go and get a drink. That maybe it's quite hard to understand for someone that hadn't gone through that. But they also had this sort of path, um, basically this this set of not commandments, but almost like um, bits to tick off in terms of your journey and how you were going into this journey of sobriety. It was like the, like the ten steps, the twelve steps, I think it was actually. So I didn't we didn't really follow them, but <laughs> and, um, and it didn't really. Say, the actual the aspect of the group therapy, I, I said I didn't quite connect to it. There was quite religious elements to it as well, which I didn't really didn't really comprehend or, or align myself with. But the 12 steps in a way, I didn't seek to follow them. But one of the ones in there was about sort of seeking forgiveness and sort of and seeking apology from others. Now, in my own way at this point, I was already on my own sort of journey with fitness before I started going to these therapy bits. I started going, obviously reaching out to that bit. I started writing a journal at the time, writing a lot of bits on there in terms of what I was going through, the thoughts I was experiencing. I was also forcing myself to go back into areas that perhaps were maybe risky. So I was going to the pub quite a lot by myself just to sit there because I never wanted to become like a taboo angle to me. Um, but there was a quote that always sung to me about um, the more times you sit in the barber's chair, the more likely you are to get a haircut. And, and it always sort of hit me a bit in terms of the fact that I was going to the pub quite often, but obviously it was risky in terms of the fact I was trying to get sober, but I was going to the pub all the time. But again, it was just trying not to have those boundaries in place and always trying to keep it open. I had a stag do I went on quite early on, a close friend of mine as well, that people were like, you know, you can't go on that, you know, you're trying to get sober. And I was going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up alcohol, I'm not giving up my life here. It's like, I'm going to do these things. So in my own kind of way, I was pushing myself into fitness there. I was doing the sort of journey, I was speaking quite openly to friends and family about what I've been going through. I'd open myself up to this sort of stuff. And I was also trying to, to right my wrongs in a way. So you mentioned the sort of forgiveness side. And where I'm going with this is those 12 steps that were in that group therapy session, I, I didn't follow them in terms of from that setup. But perhaps maybe seven, eight months on in this journey, when I looked back and actually followed that same principle, a bit like in my own way, without actually... I mean, some some believers of the fairy might be like, well, they're stuck in your head and you followed them. They weren't. They were kind of just my own natural path in terms of going through this bit. It, it followed a similar bit. And one of those was seeking forgiveness from others. Now, in this bit, of course, during this point, I, I completely allowed myself to be vulnerable and where I was out there and, and making apology to a lot of people that I felt I had wronged and felt hurt, especially that ex-partner. But she wasn't really willing to... To have any more contact at this point which was, which was understandable she she'd been very selfless um in the early days there and really a lot of other people i don't think would have at all but she was there sort of you know, believing in sort of i can make this change encouraging me supporting um but i felt as if i'd never really had that that forgiveness from that side and it got to a point really maybe a year in that i'd actually had a lot of contact with people through various points in my drinking journey maybe previous partners and stuff and previous bits um, the employers I'd let down quite a lot when I left York, I left overnight. I, I was manager at the time. And I literally just up and left um, at the time. And obviously uh, other people I'd met that maybe um, I'd, I'd owed things to, to friends. And they'd all almost kind of 
well, they're all accepting, all, all come around in a way or been part of my life and accepted that sort of style and, and very encouraging in the change I'd made. So it felt very much like I had that that forgiveness and I'd put myself out there vulnerably to these people and, and I'd got it back. And But the one person I didn't get that back from was, was that ex-partner. But then on that moment where I shared my story online, two years later, on now an account that I didn't have, back when I first started this, it was a fresh account, it was new. Sharing that all on there, uh, at some point or another, that partner had come across this and had reached out to me on that point and basically just said that I knew you could do this, you know, I knew you could always get to that point, you know, I believed in sort of doing that thing and it, it was, and it was, it was, it was understanding and we had a bit of a talk back and forth, we haven't spoken again since, but it very much felt like that that door, that one door that was open, I, I, did actually, I did actually move on from in myself and thinking, like, I'm not going to gain forgiveness from that angle, but I had to almost forgive myself in a way at that point there and feel like I, I'd done what I could. And although it will always be something that will be a blip and also the catalyst for change and also something that I'll never write off, it, it, in a way it felt as if I, I, I couldn't... To go any further to try and seek that forgiveness would, would have been... Um, crossing a line but again that message back at the time it, it just felt very much like that 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 door had finally closed and that chapter had finally had shut itself and that yes this change that I'd gone through I, I I felt like I had right my wrongs in a way um but looking back on those initial 12 steps it's funny how how you just sort of followed that in, in your particular way but the forgiveness side I think I think yes Ultimately, there comes a time where maybe not everyone will get that. They won't always get that from everybody they want to. They might sometimes um, be pushing for it too much, perhaps, and you've almost got to wait. Sometimes it's not for you to to, to, to ask for that all the time. Um, sometimes the actions have to be there rather than the words. But ultimately, I think, yeah, you do come to a point where you almost have to forgive yourself for these things. Um, but to, do, to get to that point and then to then receive it as well... Um, yeah, it, it it did feel all like very, very, a very sort of tale of redemption, really. At the time, it was, it was, a, it was a, yeah, it was quite, quite a lucid, lucid moment being in the, in that phase, really. I mean, it's quite a vivid memory still, but it also seems as if it's a million miles away, or even last week. It's kind of funny how how vivid it can be, um, but yeah, it, it certainly felt at peace um, from the journey I'd gone on. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that that feeling of, you know, you want something and you want to you want forgiveness for yourself but for from others, particular others sometimes. Um it's as though we do have to get to that place of letting go and finding that and perhaps looking inwards at that forgiveness like you mentioned just self-forgiveness and allow other people to go on their journey because I guess they've been on that journey with us along the way and they've they've been impacted on in different ways so it's allowing them the space and the moment you kind of did that that's when it allowed space for somebody else so yeah thank you for sharing that as well I think I'll keep saying that all the way throughout like thank you for sharing (laughs) because you know it's uh it's you know we talk about sharing as well don't we and we see it sometimes it can be seen as such a a weakness to show this vulnerability but is that what do you think of vulnerability in general do you think that that is a weakness is it a strength what what's that brought for you I, I think it's just been um initially it was an accountability i think for me um 
But also, I think, again, more simply, I suppose, from sort of maybe the male point of view, these especially emotional sort of weakness can be can be seen in different ways. And, and obviously that that sort of stigma that can be around these sort of things, I think, has started to, to break down slightly. I think it's certainly still there in many platforms. But again, for me, a big reason why I do talk about this sort of stuff so often now, and I mean, I talk a lot to, to corporate business and various bits out there and demonstrations and, and online on my own channels, is in that hope that if one person sort of takes something from that, then it makes these sort of bits worthwhile and just not knowing knowing that you're not alone through these things, really, uh, and reaching out and talking. But it's... No, I certainly don't see it as a weakness at all. I think it's... Yeah, it is that accountability. It's opening yourself up. It's allowing that change to be made, but also allowing the vulnerability, not just you putting yourself out there in terms of what you're going through, but also you are opening yourself up for for feedback as well, in a way. And that won't always be positive. I think you've mm-hmm. almost got to sometimes come... And again, for me, in terms of going to that point of really hurting somebody through that point of what I, what I, did, what I, what I did, now I couldn't just sit there going, well, I'm, o- I'm open now. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you can't say anything to me now. You've just got to be... It's all good wasn't that way at all you've got to take that sort of roughly the smooth i think on that sort of front if you're going to do that sort of stuff and to go through that change i think you've got to hear those those darker moments sometimes and be open to them to receive them you're very much in a a listening phase at this point if you want to respond i think during this points of 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 vulnerability um when you've made a wrong i guess i think your way to respond is through action rather than through words at this point so i think you can listen a lot to what's coming back to you, but you don't really have a voice to respond at the time because mm. it's not your. Yeah, it's it, it, it's the hurt you put on others, I guess, that they're they're telling you what they felt through your actions. So you can't really mend that with explaining or trying to get out. Or sort of, you've got to almost just listen and be like, "Look, well, I I, I understand what you said there. I, I I I hold my hands up there. I'm going to make this right." I think was the vulnerability mm-hmm. side for me, but also I suppose in the mental health side of things, I guess. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, it does. It, it, it can feel very vulnerable being out there at times. It certainly, it does. Cause it, I suppose it doesn't feel maybe because it's not so normalised. Maybe I think the fact that you going out there and saying these things, it's kind of like, oh, he said this, and or, or he might get spoken about a little bit. But again, it went through a point where, for me, being those moments of real insecurity, growing up and, and suffering from this, to then a point where there was paranoia sometimes what people thought about you in little bits and how they'd be talking about you. But as I went through this change and, and certainly I think when I mean, the exercise, I think was such a major, major help with all this and took that again, battling to get back to that sort of level myself at the moment, I think after maybe sort of lockdowns and COVID and routine being smashed apart, I'm still not really at the place where I want to be with that, but still in a strong place. But I think, Throughout that journey, I remember moments, especially when I was out running for the first time, when I was out, um, still quite overweight, worrying about what other people thought of me, looking out there, going, well, if he's, if he's you know, quite overweight and he's out running, so maybe there'd be passing comments and things. But it quite quickly began to switch in my head of not this, what someone else thinking about you, but the fact that it doesn't matter how, how fast or slow I'm going or how far or how little I'm going, whatever I'm doing is more than the person sat at home on the sofa. So it's all positive steps. It's all progress. So that vulnerability began to sort of change and become more of about, well, are they talking about me? Well, it doesn't matter. 
give them something to talk about in sort of a way. It kind of I was very much about keeping my side of the street clean and let others worry about theirs in a, in a, in a degree. So me just doing my bit to try and make my change and to try and make my wrongs right whilst listening, whilst being received in various bits, but also knowing that some things are out of your hands and you're powerless to. So that was the vulnerability side, I think, for me, in terms of the fact that you just allowed yourself to be powerless to some things. You were attempting to make mm. change. You were attempting to push things forward. You were, you were being accountable to your actions. But also that it's out of your control sometimes, how that's received mm. or how, how things go or how strangers will 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 interpret that. And even now, I think being known as someone that speaks out about my issues and sort of stuff and being quite open, that I'll always push people to talk to somebody else, but I never wanted to become confused with, with sort of talking publicly. So for me, when I say that, I don't mean go on your Instagram now and share it to everybody. Like It's not, not that side of things. It's very much just talking to, to either someone close to you, to a parent, to a loved one, to, to a medical professional. But the talking publicly side, again, to me just felt in that vulnerability phase, I felt most accountable. So I just felt as if I'm going to almost put my hands up and almost, I don't know, it was a bit like I must have shamed me almost. I'm here shame me, I'm here to be shamed almost. It was a strange physical thing to do in a, in a modern in a modern world with, with social media. But um, I just, yeah, I just didn't feel as if I was really in in a place of, of of praise or anything certainly it was just it was what i was going through and it wasn't an excuse and it was very much both sides of i've been suffering from this but i've also wronged so it was both it was both together so but speaking out publicly now it's a different one too for me it was very much from from the start but it also brings its own side of things too because i think being public and being known as no as, as open about these things you can still get that flack whether it's sort of online trolls whether it's someone messaged in certain ways or whether it's someone who perhaps you know really deep down wants a similar journey and are struggling on their journey so they might vent towards you and things but all these bits of stuff that perhaps you don't maybe consider when you become quite public with maybe um what you're going through now certainly with someone of a higher profile maybe it's more sort of the actors or sportsmen will get this even more but even in my small sort of level i've still experienced little moments of that so it's understanding that being in a point of strength to 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 be able to deal with that as well i think is nothing ultimately you're breaking breaking down a stigma and changing a mentality so you are going to reach resistance too mm. but so when i say to reach out to talk i don't instantly mean pop it out there publicly to everybody else and write it on the, write it on your forehead and walk down the street. Not so much that thing because you do get almost when the phrase is tarred with the brush, isn't it in a way, but you do almost become known for that as well. So people will often maybe act slightly differently around you and turn things, even though you're really in yourself, you're completely fine. But certainly reaching out to other people and being vulnerable to to those close about things you're suffering from and not being in silence is so important. Mm, yeah. I think we even see it in your journey, I guess, can't you, where you've started the the openness, the, the vulnerability, the sharing with family and friends and seeking the professional help. And even your journey of going online started off anonymously, didn't it? You know, you had you didn't show your face and you've had to, I guess, build, or it sounds like you've had to build that, uh, that, that strength 
within yourself as well to be able to to get to where you are now so yeah absolutely it's it's I'm really glad that you mentioned about sharing and how that's that's helped you so much so you said there as well that you know we can often then get known to to be that person who shares or you know and perhaps I don't know if you find this is something that comes up for you but can it be difficult to sometimes break away from the identity of fell foodie and just say to people, well, or just like you said, have a conversation and who, who is Harrison Ward? You know, who else, what else do you do? What else, what else do you know about you <laughs> other than fells and food? <laughs> I think it's, it, it's, it's, it's a strange one because for me, again, when I mentioned that sort of journaling I did sort of in the first maybe year sober, I, I did find that I mean, that would be something I'd have laughed off beforehand. I'd never have done it at all. I'd have been like, well, I'm going to write things down. What's, what's that going to solve? But I really enjoyed that sort of aspect of, of writing down what I was going through and documenting progress, almost in a way, of what I was doing at the time. But after about a year when I started the online account, the journaling fell by the wayside. But it felt like quite a natural switch because my, 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 my private sort of journaling almost became public journaling online. So I was always writing very raw and honest accounts on my account at the time. And that was a natural progression in that sort of way to me. So when you say sort of in terms of who, who is he or who is he or is it persona, I feel like I've always just been me from the whole time. I've always just shared exactly what I'm doing. I've shared when things haven't gone right, when things have gone wrong, windows into my life. It's not so much that filtered sort of one you see sort of so many online accounts do, and like this is living my best life all the time. It's very much been... A full a full spectrum of things, I, I, I believe. And I think that's maybe why people have maybe related a little bit more to certain things because I always have been quite honest with what, what I've gone through. But I think when I said about sometimes other people um, not judging as such or not being sort of premature in their opinions, but they often might know a bit more about the deeper innards of yourself than you do of them. So I think they instantly mm. maybe have maybe a more a feeling of knowing when you might not have even met sometimes sometimes it might be someone i've not met at all i mean again it's a very small level i mean compared to some of these larger higher profile people but even on that extent you see very much a window and as much as i try and be as honest as possible in, on all fronts there's still things that obviously will we won't make it onto there for, for whatever reason but sometimes that can be a, a, an interesting scenario the fact that People often make prejudgment in a way. Mm. Um, but again, it's something you've just got to sort of contend with. Again, you know the truth in a way. And I think that's always boiling it back down to you knowing the reality. So people will always get snippets of you, no matter who you meet. There's a, there's a brilliant one, I think. There's a, there's a, I forget where it comes from, if it's a book or if it's just a, a speaking, but about the fact that everyone you've ever met knows a different person of you sort of thing because they've only seen different snippets and they've made, built a picture of you in your head and even your internal picture of yourself is different to the one that even the person closest to you says so when you when you bring all that into play sometimes when people are trying to preempt who you are and think they know you to a certain degree ultimately i think it's just being comfortable with that and just realizing that as long as you know you're actually your hard truth then mm just let it slide in a way. Some bits, they're, they're, they're very minor. I mean, unless it is something major, but the, but, but the majority of cases, it's very minor. It's not going to really affect much and things, but so just yeah. some people will always have that opinion. So I guess it's, uh, 
Yeah, I, I still think the positive outweighs the negative for sure uh, and the impact you can perhaps have. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So how how do you stay connected to your truth? Because I can imagine it, people maybe do lose themselves a little bit. Um, how do you stay how do you personally stay connected to, I guess, who you are? Well, that's a deep one, isn't it? It's a deep one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going there today. Um, I suppose it depends on how you define your true self, isn't it? I suppose how, how you think you define your true self. It's uh, I see it as very fluid, really. It's, it's something that, that changes quite a bit. So I think certainly been a lot forgiven with yourself there's certain bits that i think i'm still very self-critical i think i always have been um they're still maybe striving for moments of perfection in a way but also being content sometimes with with what you have and bringing yourself back and checking your privilege in certain aspects and seeing the wider picture it's, it's, it's a difficult one i think lockdown was something that really again i think brought things back to a different a different path because for the first time in this sort of journey all of a sudden I was kind of like stripped of the positive outlets that I, that, I, that I'd brought up and gained so the the likes of the gym I was going to all the time the fells although being so close by you were getting told not to go on them by mountain rescue and various bits maybe with a slightly higher profile in the area too I didn't want to be caught being out there and disobeying that and then there was the whole sort of can't go outdoors more than half an hour which was which was bollocks it was just one statement that was made in in a, in a press conference that was took as gospel it was never never law but you had everybody else around you almost curtain twitching and watching and almost shopping you when you were out so it felt very almost almost what xenophobic in a way being in certain areas being out there and being judged by everybody quite openly at once so that was that was quite difficult um at maybe a period of slight weakness as well so because some vices have been lost, maybe the strength and I took a little hit. Therefore, for me, I, I, I barely went out. I barely went out. I and mean, I was working the whole time as well, so that, that played a big part. And that my hours probably went through the roof at that point. So everybody else seemed to be out there adapting in different ways and obviously going through their own things, but some were some were thriving in a way in terms of spending more time uh, with families and games and various bits and, and, and adapting. But for me, it felt as if it was... It was all work, no play, and no sort of outlet anymore. And really, it was coming back home each night to your own four walls again. And that was the exact time in the past that that's why I went out drinking. I didn't drink at home. I always drank out and about because if I was stuck indoors in my own head, that was where things just, just went wrong. Um, so... Yes, people did a lot of the home workouts and things at home, but I can never really get, I couldn't, couldn't get into that sort of style of thing. I, I, for me, it was always in a different area. I take myself to a different location, and that's where you almost do a different activity. So when it was all in the room, the same place, then home feels very homely, I guess, to me. Somewhere I relax and somewhere I sort of maybe eat and recover rather than actually do all these things from. So I found that a very difficult period in that change there. So staying true to yourself, through that point for me it, i certainly went backwards um i had the temptation to drink again i thankfully didn't act on that thankfully but i certainly leaned on food more as a comfort star and that's always a difficult one with the love of food and cooking is that it does both for me sort of ways so there's means in terms of how it can also become more of a vice but it's also an outlet it's, it's both 
So I certainly lent on that. I think I put a lot of weight back on during lockdown. I did. I've become a lot more unfit. My lifestyle sort of changed, and even now, almost two years on, I still feel like I'm sort of not quite back to where I was at that point. There's still a different style of, of not long COVID, but long COVID sort of activity, I guess, in a way. Um, but that, even itself, even saying that feels feels wrong to say because I'm like, well, it's an excuse. You've had two years now. You know, like, why are you still acting that way? But it just, it takes so long to build that routine. I think once it sort of shatters, it's hard to hard to get back in place again. But to stay true to myself in that point, I think for me, and I said this to a lot of people as well out there, there were a lot more people who drunk a lot more during that point. There was a lot more people that ate a lot more during that point. People perhaps maybe did a lot more exercise than others. There was different ways. But we all acted in different ways to get through a very uncertain period. So for me, in staying true to myself in that point, I was quite forgiving of myself. I think if that was my crux and the way I got through an uncertain period, then it was being forgiving to yourself because it's not it's not something to beat yourself up about. It, it was a very unusual phase. So you're going to have different bits that are going to adapt to get through that. So although it's difficult to be sat maybe here now and not exactly be where I want to be at the moment, feeling like I've gone backwards a bit, Again, speaking openly and honestly and knowing that it's still your true self is how I sort of come to terms with that, I think. Mm. And how, where are you at now? You know, we were obviously a little bit out of COVID and I know you said then that you're not quite where you want to be. What what are you doing kind of to support yourself and your mental well-being during this time? So for me now, I guess, it's, it, I mean, I've, I've, I suppose I've gone through more change, I suppose, in, in recent times because I guess, Plus, coming out of COVID and things as well, I also um, I went full time with, with what I do in January. So it's become sort of I'm in the freelance world now, so that's a very big change. Obviously, again, that aspect of going somewhere to do a different activity and that mindset switch. Now a lot of it is home working and emitting there and then heading out. It emerges again, so that's kind of a different maybe for my headset is trying to sort that out. There's been a lot of traveling involved too, a lot of driving about the place, which again brings maybe. Um, some unhealthy vices in as well, some sort of eating on the road and traveling the way. So there's been a lot of, um, it's been very fluid this year. So yeah, I don't think it's been really too structured. And I am someone that sort of resents routine and resents structure. But I also, I'm also very aware, but more increasingly aware of how much better I actually act under that structure and routine. And again, each to their own. But it's, it's a funny one. I almost fiercely resist but then also yeah it, it delivers the best results um so for now i don't know i mean i mean mentally feel 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 grand feel still in place still very open about things still there um it's just a, i think it's more the physical for me at the moment i think it's more fitting those bits in and trying to build this new routine in place and it's quite a transitional year it feels after already what was two other years of transitional phasing, but, but, maybe, but maybe forced in a way. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, a, I'm quite a known procrastinator too, I think. So I think perhaps I just sometimes need to actually bite down and, uh, and, and, and go and do these bits. But for me, the, the difficult bit I'm going through now, I think, is the fact that when I first went through that major change, everything was improvement and everything was, was a positive step. So each step along the way, 
you know, I was getting stronger in the gym. I was, I was running further. I was running faster. I was losing weight. So it was always be more, more platformers that were looking to share what I was doing. They were all big steps on the way. So I felt very much like tick-offs or rungs on the ladder. Whereas now it feels like I fell down the ladder a bit. And not so much on the other side, because there's still moments of, 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 of the business side is grand. But for myself, if I'm going to the gym, which hasn't been too regular this year, but if I'm going to the gym, I'm a lot weaker than I was. If I'm going for a run, I'm a lot slower. I can't run as fast. I'm going up the hills. I'm not getting up there as fast either. I'm, I'm struggling a lot more going up. So it's a different motivational battle in your head of the fact that the progress is different now. You can still make that progress, and I will still make that progress, but I'm comparing it to progress of the past. So I'm always like, I was I was there. So you might be going from level four to level five, but I was at level 10 before. So it's a difficult mindset switch in trying to be a bit more stoic almost and actually climb back up that in a different way. That that That's the bit I'm struggling with because the progression, is, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing to the man of the past too much rather than becoming mm-hmm. in the actual now, I think. It's that, that's, that's, that's the hard bit, I think, the hard motivator is knowing that you're always, you may be better in the past. But um, yeah, just a different challenge, I guess, different challenge. And I'm sure one that you can get back to and perhaps even surpass again in the end. But currently it feels, (laughs) it feels like you're looking back up at before myself and going, wow, how did you get there again? Yeah, yeah. You know, I can fully resonate with that as well. And when you've been somewhere that you you want to be, or you, you you deem as being the kind of the better version, and and thinking, gosh, how do I get there? But you kind of know that you can because you've been there. But is it also, I guess, is are we even going to get to a, a better place now because we've fallen down, if you want to say that, or we've kind of you know we've regressed maybe. Um, I mean, should we even see it as regression, I guess? Should we see it as more that that is kind of a next step on the journey up and then we're actually just going to keep going up to a higher level? What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's trying to see it in different ways. I guess like anything, like if you watch a film again that you've already seen, you, you pick up different things on the, on, the, on the way, don't you? So I think if you're following the same journey again, I suppose the, the hard bit is the fact that I suppose, and I know myself in saying this is, 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 is easy, I guess, but... I'm comparing me now to me at the top of last time. But almost what I need to do is compare like for like and the journey along mm. the way. That The goal might be the same, but again, you need to remember how you felt at this point to the next step and the next step. So I suppose one advantage I've made, which I haven't actually done yet, is I have got those those journal writings from that first year that I had that actually document that whole progression I've never read back at this point. I mean, six years on now, six years sober, six years away from that lifestyle. But that will maybe give you a clearer picture of where you were. And I bet the similarities are, are very are very similar. I mean, perhaps not in the alcohol side, but certainly in the fitness side. So maybe it's just trying to pull yourself into that like like for like sector rather than comparing the low to the high, which is always going to be a tougher battle. Um yeah yeah no that's it is tough it is tough and maybe even going back to them them journal entries you'll you'll see like wow actually 
there's been a heck of a lot of change here, you know, and maybe there'll be some similarity, maybe some change, but do you journal now, by the way? Not uh, not physically, but I still see the whole, the online side as being more of my journal these days. So obviously I'll, I'll, I'll do various bits like this, I suppose, where I'm speaking quite, quite regularly to various podcasts or magazine interviews or my own online accounts. So I see those as almost as journaling aspects. Um, because I haven't got any secrets anymore. Every, everything's out there. Everything's, everything's out in the ether in some way or another. So to me, I think to go back to sharing something just to myself, I have nothing to hide really in a way, that sort of way. So I, I just share it honestly. And I think the impact it's always maybe had to, even if it's just one or two people, it, it just it just creates that, well, that social aspect, that social media or that community aspect. It's That's what it's about really. I think the fact that, there'll be somebody else going through exactly the same as this, exactly the same. And they'll be in the head going, well, I can't do that, I can't do that. But then again, it's that sometimes that similarity and that connection, that familiarity can really aid these things. So, so yeah. So I guess the answer is yes and no to that question. Yeah. Yeah. You found another way of doing it, but I think that really sums up what I can feel as a theme from this kind of conversation and, and what you maybe seem to be all about, whether you relate to it or not, hopefully you do, <laughs> but it's this idea of, of community and connection in, in all of this as well. And kind of, I've got one more question to just ask before we wrap up, mainly because it's something I guess I'm grappling with, but it'd be interesting to hear what, what you think of it. Do you have any regrets? Do you, do you believe in regrets? So, it's one people ask quite a lot, actually, this this sort of thing in terms of regrets, and especially in terms of perhaps, you know, the, the drinking days, maybe the impact on sort of health and, and financially. I mean, certainly there was there was copious spent on that. I mean, it took me a long time to sort of try and clear the debts from that point. And I blew a lot of inheritance I got from a great uncle that could have been used as a as a Kickstarter for a house. I'm, I'm still renting now, bits like that. But for me, I, I look at it really as that was all the investment to this point. So there might be some things you're not proud of in that, in that time and things that you perhaps would do differently. If you had the time again, but would that mean that you were a different person now? It's a bit like the whole time travel thing, I guess, isn't it making a change in the past and how that affects the future. So on certain fronts, I think that yes, it was maybe ill-advised decisions and stuff and things in the past and things that, you know, you'd rather have not gone through that that pain or difficulty by not making that decision, but that's all got me to where I am now and to this point. So in that frame of mind, no, I don't have any regrets. Um, Great. Yeah, it's got me to this point now. Really, if that gets me to the purpose of me being able to share those struggles to help other people, then, yeah, I've lived them again for that purpose. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Harrison, for everything that you've shared on this um, on this episode. I think it will be very relatable for a lot of people. Um, and just sharing that vulnerably, like you said, to kind of, it's a support for others as well. So I would love it if we could just wrap up by sharing where it is that we can find you. What what socials are you on? What are you what are you doing at the moment? What's uh, what's going on? <laughs> no, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, yeah, it's been a nice discussion. It's um... For me, I'm on all the social platforms, really, all as, all as fell foodie, um, just all one word. So you can find me on there, on web, our website, www.fellfood.co.uk. Always willing to receive sort of questions and bits out there as well, always respond to things I get. So, again, I'm not 
a, a medical professional, but I'm happy to share my lived experiences always. Uh, as for what's coming next, I guess, I mean, again, it's been quite a, a transitional year, but it's quite an enjoyable year. I guess I've had some fantastic things that I've had the opportunity to do with various brands or various platforms to speak on in the past few past few months and years. Um, so really, I'm just looking to sort of, again, continue this journey and see where it sort of takes me. I've got some great trips coming up, some festivals I'm involved with. I do a lot of sort of um, cooking demonstrations and sort of classes these days as well. Um, share my story further because I think it always always can have that impact on various different platforms. But ultimately, just heading up a few more hills and cooking up a few more meals, really. It's uh, very much living for the now, one day at a time type mantra. Brilliant. I love that. Thanks again, Harrison. This will all be linked in the show notes below. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to know what you think of the episode and you can reach out to me in the show notes below. The options are there. And if you feel called to rate or review or share this episode, I would be incredibly grateful. Thank you very much, everyone.